So good to see you all this morning. We're going through this mini-series right now, three Sundays. This is the second of the three um, as we continue in the book of Acts and uh, in a series called A Word of Encouragement. Paul and Barnabas, are, they've launched out onto their first missions, uh, first mission trip where they're planting churches and God has sent them out to reach the known parts of the world at the time. Uh, and they come to this town called Antioch in the region of Galatia, uh, which is the book of Galatians. Paul wrote that letter later in his life to this church these people were talking about this morning. So they get to Antioch, and, and on, a, on a Sabbath, they go to church. They go to the Jewish church at the time, into the synagogue, and the leaders of that church recognize, supposedly, uh, Paul and Barnabas, and they realize that Paul is a rabbi, and he's like a visiting preacher, so they invite him. Uh, they say, hey, if you have any word of encouragement, would you share it with the people? And so this is how God works. This is the passage. We've been preaching through the book of Acts for three, four months now, and this is where we landed on this Sunday morning, okay? And that was not on my purpose, <laughs> all right? I, I didn't plan this. God worked it out this way. Um, and so this is where we landed. So we took, and, and so any word of encouragement, would you stand up and share? And so Paul stands up and begins to, to preach and give a sermon, a message to these people. I'm going to read last week's passage as we go into this week's passage, just in case you weren't here so you understand the context. But I thought about that this week, the word of encouragement. Why would these people need encouraged? And the reason was because these were Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. These were people who were hungry for God. And you see, God in the Old Testament gave all these prophecies about a Messiah that was going to come someday. And yet in the time of Jesus, God had been silent through his prophets for roughly 400 years. And so for generations, God had been silent. They had not heard. They had been promised a Messiah. They had been promised a Savior. They had been promised some good things. But it had not come to fulfillment yet in their mind. And I think about 400 years, right? That doesn't sound like, I mean, we can see the whole scope of history and be like, 400 years, that's not that bad. We're talking about thousands of years. But to give you some perspective, you know, the United States of America is not even 300 years old. Okay, and we feel like it's been here forever in our own minds. Like, this, this is an anchor, this is a real thing, it's in place. Like, we don't know and someone in our past generation that didn't live in America or didn't live in a time when America existed. So they, they, were, they were maybe discouraged because they've been trying every day to do all the things from the Old Testament law and the Pharisees and like do all the rules and try to please God through works. And it was just stressful and taxing and it required every Sunday or every Sabbath that you're just showing up and you're, you're trying to do the right thing and you just can't get it perfect. And so I'd imagine they were a bit discouraged. Can you imagine every day trying to do the right thing, right? Trying to be perfect, never lose your temper, never say the wrong word, never, never, never uh, speak off, off, off the cuff to your kids in the wrong way, to never lose it on the person in front of you at McDonald's, to, to, to you know, right? Like, and oh, you accidentally sat beside the wrong person at Texas Roadhouse because they're Gentile and they're not even a Christian, and you sat beside them, now you're dirty, Right? I mean, this is what they were living through, the stress of life they were living through. And so when Paul hears the leader say, do you have a word of encouragement? 
Oh, man, does he ever. <laughs> does he ever have a word of encouragement? I've got the verses we're going to be preaching on this morning, starting in 23 on the screen. But I, I want to, this is a, it's a little, it's a long passage. Stick with me, but you've got to hear the first of it in case you weren't here last week so you know the weight of verse 23 that we're starting in this morning. So I'm going to start reading in verse 16 and go all the way through 29. So hang on, all right? This is Paul. He stands up, lifts his hand, quiets the people down. He starts speaking. Men of Israel and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Pretty pointed. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them the Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God had said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. To this point, Paul has given them a history lesson on Israel, things they all knew already. But I love the way he framed it all, is that he was consistently so showing uh, God as the author. God did this, God led you, God chose you, God delivered you. Like that was the energy behind what Paul was saying. And then we get to verse 23 where we start today. All of this history led up to this verse. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. And he begins to talk about what happened in Jerusalem when Jesus showed up. It says, Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all the people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, he asked, Do you think I'm the Messiah? No, I'm not. But he is coming soon. And I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles. This is Paul talking, all right? Paul who wrote a majority of the books of the New Testament. Who was also a murderer and, and, and all, all the way against Christians until God completely changed his heart. He says, the message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they had done all that, the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. We're going to pause right there. How many of y'all know it's not the end of the story? How many of y'all thanking God that's not the end of the story? But we're going to rest right here just for a minute. At one time, there was this little town on the eastern coast, and uh, it was struggling financially. This was, this was decades ago, and they were struggling financially, and they decided to have this town hall meeting, and they invited 
you know, the whole community, come out, let's brainstorm, let's come up how we're going to get through this difficult time. And so like a couple dozen people showed up. And then there was this one stranger that was there that nobody really know, knew. They didn't talk to him. They didn't even acknowledge he was there. Um, and, and they just went on having their meeting, all this discussion and debate about, you know, how are we going to get through this? What are we going to do? And, and this guy, the stranger, he started to speak up one time, and then he got interrupted, and he was just like, all right, I'm just going to let them talk. And, and eventually he just gets up and leaves the meeting early. As the story goes, there was a, someone coming to the meeting late, a latecomer to the meeting, and they pass the guy that was leaving, and they run in to the meeting, and, and they, they start shouting. They say, what was he doing here? Did you get his help? What was he doing here? Did you get his help? And they said, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Do you know that man? And, 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 the, and the latecomer was like, you don't know who he was? That was John D. Rockefeller. His yacht is in the harbor. You didn't get his help. He was here sitting in your meeting. And the people in the meeting were like, they, I mean, they were like, oh, my gosh. They were in despair. You know, the air come out of the room. Like, we're here, like, toiling and trying to figure this out. And, like, the solution was here. We didn't get his help because we didn't know who he was. See, the story Paul is telling them here is that there was one that came that was in their presence that was in Jerusalem. And people were toiling and trying, and even the people he's talking to, you're trying so hard, and you don't even realize, and we'll get in the same shape, we don't even realize that God is in this church meeting with us, that he is in the car with us, that he's at our home with us, that he's in the classroom with us, and we don't even recognize him, don't even acknowledge him, don't even ask his direction or guidance. And Paul was telling them, and, and this is the title of this morning's message, The One. I've told you about the history and everything that's been promised. And in the middle of his sermon, he said, I want to tell you, the One has come. The One has been here. And he tells us a little bit about who that was. And so this morning, we're going to look at just a few things about Jesus. Jesus was the One. He came, didn't even recognize him. And so the one, let's talk about it. First, Paul says, the one who come, the one, Jesus, who is at the center of history. He's at the center of history. This is what Paul is saying. He's like, all that history stuff I told you about, everything I've, I've shared up until this point, until verse 23, I shared all that because in every moment, in every season, as God was working with the nation of Israel, it was not about the nation of Israel. It was not about Abraham. It was not about Moses. It was about how am I going to save the whole world? Like I created these people and they went selfish and they, they sinned. They, they've rebelled against me. How am I going to bring them back to me? How am I going to give them hope in the midst of all that chaos? How am I going to get them? And so he chose, when, when, when he starts, and he says, God chose you, Israel. The whole reason God chose Israel was to begin his plan to bring Jesus into existence. When God delivered Israel, right, the history that he had just shared, when he delivered Israel, he had this in mind. He had Jesus in mind. 
when God put up with Israel, maybe he was patient with them, and they were, it was long-suffering. They were complaining and bickering, and, you know, a lot like you and me, like we don't get it when we want it, how we want it. We start to complain. He said God put up with them. He put up with them not because he was patient just for them. He was that because I got a whole world to save, and my plan is going to be fulfilled. I'm, I'm working toward Jesus. Like, this is what this is about. When he led them into Canaan's land, when he gave them a judge, when he gave them prophets, Samuel, when he gave them a king, Saul and David, like all that was about this. Remember last week? Who was here last week? You remember the bridge I was talking about? I said, God knew he starts building on one end, and this is the bridge I saw, and they'd already started building on the other end. They knew it where it was going to connect. Well, the, the, God's bridge being completed is Jesus. This is the consummation of history. This is the completion. John, the gospel according to John, said it like this. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Isaiah gave this prophecy, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. It's Isaiah 11. Looking forward to the birth of Jesus. Paul begins to remind them of the history, one of King David's descendants, who is the promised. It means there's been a promise. It's been fulfilled. This is the consummation of history. Jesus is the center of history. When telling the story in Jerusalem, he says, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. He's saying everything you're teaching every Sunday, like you're just teaching it. You don't even know what's happened. Like, how do you not see this? See, Jesus was the one who's at the center of history. You know what I love, too? Like the whole world, our calendar hinges on his birth date. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, the whole world, our calendar hinges on the life of Jesus. He is the center of history. Okay? He's the one that this is all about. Second thing Paul tells us, he is the one who is the savior of mankind. As I thought about this, and you know, he calls him, calls him this several times, brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation. He's not just talking about you got a letter, here's your message. It's not a voicemail, it's not a text, it's not a it's not a private message, not a direct message, not an email. It's a person. This message of salvation, Jesus has been sent to us. He says this, it's been sent to us. He is the Savior of mankind. What did he save us from? Save us from the penalty and the power of sin in our life. You can go read the book of Romans. and I mean, it's, it's a long book about everything I just said. Freedom from the power and the penalty of sin. 
I used to think when I was a kid, you know, God was just, he, he was waiting and he was going to judge us at the end based on our works. You've heard people say, you know, you're going to get the scales out and you balance. Did I do more good than I did bad? Or, or, or was, I, was I righteous enough? Did I go to church enough? Did I give enough? Like all these things. And I thought God was going to make this decision um, at the end about where we all end up. Because there's a, there's a reality here is that uh, there's this roadmap in Romans that we sometimes hear referred to that says we, are, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Start with that basic premise. We've all fallen short. It says the wages of sin are death. It says because we've fallen short, because we have sinned, we will die. Not just die physically, but we will have an eternal death. We'll be separated from God's presence for all of eternity. Once our physical bodies draws it, draw its last breath, we go to heaven or we go to hell. And this becomes a difficult thing to talk about. But I remember thinking that was going to be based on what I'd done or what I hadn't done. And this is what the people that Paul's speaking to, this is what they're thinking, is that I've got to do enough to keep, be right with God. I've got to be enough to be right with God, and I've got to continue to be sacrificed and try and try and try and try and try and try. And Paul stands up, and he says, let me give you a word of encouragement. <laughs> let me tell you about the center of history. Everything, the culmination is here. The one that's been promised. Let me tell you something else. He is the Savior of mankind. He is the Messiah. Because what really happened, how God is really like, is what I said earlier, is that he looked down on people who had rebelled against him and chose to come and die for them anyway. Where you and me, we might use this old saying that says, you made your bed, you lay in it. Are you glad we don't serve that God? That that is not the character of our God. That our God has the character that says, I'm going to go do this even though I know some will never accept it. Some will never receive me. They'll never accept this truth. I'm going to die so that whosoever would believe in me should, should not perish but would have everlasting life. He's like, he is running a rescue mission to keep people out of hell. He is not the one sending you there. We are destined for that place when we are born. And he's moved heaven and earth to give us every opportunity to escape it. Not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. He talks about in Romans that prior to giving God our life and being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we are controlled by sin, controlled by what we want, selfishness and pride. In effect, we are our own God. When we reject Jesus, we say, my plan's better, my thoughts are better, my ideas are better. What I believe is more important and is supreme to you, and we idolize our own self. The amazing thing is, like, sometimes we can feel comfortable and start pretending and going through the motions of church and religion and think that will get us there. That's the scary part. That's what these people were doing. They were going through the motions of religion and church. They were doing church. And I tell you, the heart at New Beginnings is to never do church. It's to never just get into the habit. As long as we're there on Sunday mornings and, and you know, we do, the, do three songs and a sermon. 
my heart is like the church exists Monday through Saturday. The, the, the church exists outside of this place. If our community is to know Jesus, it is to know it through the church, his church. And we have to be present with our neighbors. We have to care about things different than, than the world cares about people. That means you as a teacher in your classroom, even if you don't ever say, get to say Jesus, you will love your kids like nobody else can love them. And those kids need your love. And at some point, they're going to find out that you go to church, that you're a Christian. And we say, oh, the Christian teachers love me different. Unfortunately, a lot of times the world will say, the Christian customers tip me different. Or they treat me different. All right? and, and so we can tarnish God's witness if we're not living the way we should live. Okay? But Jesus is the Savior of mankind. You imagine you're having a big party. You send all these invitations out. Everybody come over. We're going to have a big party. I don't know what kind of party you want to have. Swim party? Pizza party? I like pizza party. That sounds good. Everybody's invited. This is God inviting people to heaven. Okay? All you got to do is RSVP and say, I believe I'm going to that party. I'll take it. Well, if you don't respond, tell me you're coming. If you say, no, I'm not coming, am I going to go drag you? To the party? See, every individual gets to choose, gets to make that choice, that decision. Am I going to accept the invitation, this gift of grace from God to, to rescue me from what I'm destined to, or am I not? And the only way you do it is the song we sang earlier, Here's My Heart, Lord. Here's my heart. He's the Savior of mankind. Jesus was also the one who was rejected and crucified. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. And in doing this, they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. When they'd done all that the prophecy said about him, they took him down from the cross and they placed him in the tomb, you see, he was rejected and crucified. Y'all like vending machines? Y'all like snicker bars? In vending machines? Um, you remember vending machines? Now you can use your debit card or, uh, you know, fancy things. But remember back in the day where you had to have, a, like, if you didn't have change, you could use a dollar bill? Remember a little dollar, like, you'd try to slide a dollar in that thing? And you start looking for the most crisp one you had, because if you had one like this, which is usually how mine were, let me dig around my pockets, you get it out, right? And you start doing the thing, this thing, you find the corner or something. Y'all remember this? Who remembers this? Who's done this? Is it not the most frustrating thing in the world? Because sometimes you got this one, and you're like, you try to get it perfect, and you, you put it in there, and you're like, he went in, and it spits it out. You're like, ah, and so so you do the corner thing, right? You're like, oh, the corners are messed up, and you're like, trying to fix the corners. You get the corners right, and then you, all right, let's try again. You slide it in. You're like, yes. You're looking around. Everybody, think everybody's watching you. Just one. You got it in, and it spits it out. 
And you're So then you got to look at George, right? You got to look at George. Which way is his face, his head going? Because on the little thing, right? It's like, I'm, that probably matters which way his head is. I don't know. Did it really matter? It, I, they had you fooled. I don't think it really mattered. Maybe it did. So I'd get his face right, you know, get his face right, and, and you put him in again. And it comes back out. And then you're like, oh, all right, enough of this. You find what you think is like the crisp, perfect one. Her eyes perfect, and you slide it in and spits it out. And you're like, I just need a hammer. Like, I need, how am I going to get that Snickers? It's like what you're thinking. So unfortunately, people are the same way as vending machines. Like, we, we tend to reject other people who look like they've been carried around in a pocket, who've been folded up, who've been stepped on, who've been torn and ripped and the corners are taped. And, and we tend to look for people who look more, you know, they look, they look so like they have it together. Right, they... I mean, they go to church every Sunday. Their kids are perfect, little angels. Their khakis are creased perfect. You know, yet we have this fear of rejection. We have this fear of getting spit back out. And I think about Jesus. All right, will you, you just hang with me for just a minute? See, what got them confused is these prophecies from the Old Testament... And as we talk about Palm Sunday when they were coming in, they thought Jesus was going to be this king. They thought he was going to be this, he should have been riding on a big horse with a chariot. He should have been perfect. He should have looked like a warrior. He was going to take over Israel. He was going to kick Rome out. He was going to be all these things. Yet he was just a carpenter from Nazareth. And so all the Jews, the very people who had been talking and celebrating, waiting forever for the Messiah to come, they, they just saw this and they spit him back out. And so when you feel rejected, when, when I feel rejected, you ever felt rejected? Or scared you're going to get rejected? You don't even go some places because you might not be included. Nobody knows that feeling better than Jesus Christ. Because in his heart, he was this. And me or you are this. And he was perfect, yet he died for us. He took the punishment. He was the one that was rejected so that we could get accepted in his place. For him, not only did they reject him, they chose a criminal. Over him. Can you imagine the turmoil in his heart? Yet, as he prayed in Gethsemane, he said, Father, your will, not mine. Because, see, he was, he had to go to the cross. It was part of God's plan to extend, extend salvation and save a lost world. See, Jesus, is, God has given this invitation to the party as Paul has stood up and he shared it. And he's, he's, we're now two-thirds away 
two-thirds through this sermon that he gave, and I, I, can't, I just can't leave it there. I know Easter's next weekend, but I, I can't leave it as him just being the one who's at the center of history, who's the Savior of mankind, who was rejected and crucified, because we have this very next verse. Paul says that, yeah, they, they crucified him, they took him off the cross, and they laid him in the tomb. But God... Again, back in the power of God's hands, God the Father, God raised him from the dead. So that you, so that me, simply by putting our faith and trust in him, can be raised from the dead. That we can take away this, the penalty, the power of sin that has in our life, that the wages of sin are death, not anymore. Not anymore. It's a simple decision. Drawing of the Holy Spirit through his word. Inviting you to join Jesus. Be a child of God. Because he's also. Jesus was alive. This is why Paul was there. There's no mission trip without Jesus being alive. There's no mission. He's not in Antioch standing up. And giving them any word of encouragement. Without Jesus being alive. And so he shared the history. And he said the one who, who's been promised throughout history is here. He is the salvation. He, he's the savior of mankind. He was rejected and crucified. But most importantly, he is alive because he was in Jerusalem. But now his Holy Spirit has come and he is here in this place. In Antioch, in Galatia, he is here in New Beginnings, in Pikeville. He is here extending the invitation. This morning my ask is to not be like the council meeting in that small community on the East Coast. To be planning and sorting and working out your own life and trying to solve all the problems and let Jesus be sitting right beside you and you don't even look at him. Because he is in this place. He is here right now, inviting you to be with him. John finished in the first chapter after he said the beginning, the word already existed. And that word literally meant Jesus. Jesus had always been. In verse 10, he says this, He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Here's the promise. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul stood up to share with these discouraged people. Take off that yoke, that burden of works. Accept God's gift of grace we're going to watch this short video and then we'll worship together this morning I ask you you got to do something with Jesus you got to choose this morning if you're a Christian you can just celebrate in this day Palm Sunday man it's exciting you know it's just leading toward the reality of next Sunday that tomb is empty and that means your life is just completely changed and it's just exciting. To, if, if you're not a Christian, it should be just as exciting to say, oh, all I got to do is trust in him and give him 
my life. And so you have the opportunity to do that this morning. Today is the day of salvation to put your trust in.